with this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Well, as I said, we're going to start a new series today, and I'm uh, blessed by Blessing, who's designed a screen. I think he's here somewhere. Let's see that screen. We're talking about the culture of the kingdom of God, as Jesus called us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll uh, unpack what that means in a little while. Um, You know, as Ruth said over communion, it's been a crazy time, uh, 2020, 2020 had a nice ring about it uh, for many years. A lot of businesses and churches and people had goals for 2020. 2020 was the beginning of a new decade, promised so much and delivered so far, not what was expected to say the least. We've had a global pandemic. It's shaken the health and the confidence of individuals and families and communities and nations all over the world. Uh, you know, and of course there's the, um, the social and economic fallout. Um, you know, it's been devastating in, in, in many places. And then of course we've also seen protests recently about uh, the terrible uh, racist views that some people hold and inequality and brutality that's occurred. And then in some countries you've got ongoing civil war. In fact, you've got ongoing all fully blown out wars uh, in some parts of the world. And on top of this, we've got the sadly normal tragedies that occur in everyday life for people, sometimes through sickness or accidents, and then even on a national scale, we have natural disasters. In our country, if you remember, we just had fires and floods at the end of last year, the beginning of this year. And in some countries, it's worse than that. They got earthquakes and famines and plagues. And so all of that shows us really that this world can never be perfect. That the best intentions of the people in this world and the best plans that are put into place can't produce the utopian society of health and well-being that we all long for. That we all kind of feel a a desire for? Why do we always want life to be better? Why don't we kind of just accept it and go, well, I guess this is just awful, but that's where, because the Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts. What a powerful verse, what a powerful thought. There is something that is always searching and looking for that perfect place. And of course it does exist. It's never going to exist here on earth, but there is a place where we can experience perfection place we can call home, a place that we're actually called to, and that is heaven, a place that Jesus has been preparing for us for 2,000 years. And and as Christians, that's wonderful. It's great to look forward to that. But listen, our assignment, our mission on this earth is not just to wait for the day that we arrive at the pearly gates and get to walk into heaven. Our calling is to live in the kingdom of heaven right now and to bring in that kingdom and that culture of that kingdom to this earth. 
And so we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven in his gospel. He's the only one that does. But it's pretty much an interchangeable concept between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Um, and it's, it's really the main message that Jesus brought. It was the central theme of all his teaching. And it's also what he called us to pray for and to work towards. So let's look at some scriptures to build the framework for what I want to talk about. When you read the Gospel of Mark, he records the very first words that, well, his recording of the first words in Jesus' ministry is found in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And it says, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, for what? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You know, I've got to say, I love the word repent. We just don't forget to ever use the word repent. Maybe not to every person you meet, uh, but for yourself. You know, don't be afraid of repentance. It's one of those words like submission or sin. You know, they're, they're real biblical concepts. Just don't be afraid of, as I said, maybe, maybe just focus on yourself mainly. Uh, but, uh, you know, repent just means to turn around, but really make a life change that we need to do on a continual basis, yeah? And then look at Luke 42, sorry, Luke 4, verse 42. Um, I mean, Luke was a prolific writer, but he didn't write 42 chapters of his gospel. It's only, uh, so Luke 4, it says, early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So his message was the kingdom of God. It's good news about the kingdom of God. And then, of course, as Jesus told us to pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer, we read that in Matthew 6, verse 10. He said, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so that is his calling for us to pray that God's kingdom would come. Not just your kingdom is waiting for us when we die, pie in the sky when you die, you know, it's, it's for now. There's a sense where we bring and pray and ask for God's kingdom to come. And so we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And particularly we want to talk about the culture of the kingdom of God because it's very different in many respects to the culture of the world around us. And so again, as part of our framework, let's get some definitions. Firstly, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? Of course, it's wherever God rules and reigns. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's where God is king, which is obviously going to be most fully appreciated and understood and experienced when we get to heaven. But as I said, in the meantime, we can also experience the kingdom of God, not physically, but wherever uh, and whenever someone invites Christ to come and be their king, there's the kingdom of God in a spiritual reality that occurs in our hearts and emanates into the community around us, God is establishing his kingdom. So we could say this, the kingdom of God was inaugurated during the ministry of Jesus. It's experienced to some degree in this era and it'll be completed upon the return of Jesus. So some people have emphasised sometimes a little too much, either oh, just suck it up, life's terrible, we're going to suffer, that's the way it is. But one day we'll go to heaven. 
And that's just postponing the promise of the kingdom of God. And then sometimes people lean into kingdom now theology, maybe just a little too hairy and scary. And some of the doctrine gets a little crazy if they're talking about ruling and reigning and, you know, experiencing perfect life. And, you know, there's promises of God for health and healing. That's great. But sometimes people's faith has been shaken and shattered because they were promised almost this kind of idealistic perfect life through that kind of preaching. And of course, we need to have a good theology of suffering. We understand that we are still in this world. And in fact, the devil, Satan, is even called by uh, the, the word of God, the God of this age. Little g, mind you. But still, there is a sense where there is a rule of demonic forces and the effects of sin just in our world. So there's this tension that we live with where we don't just say, oh, well, I guess we just, you know, wait and it'll all be good. Or neither do we expect perfection, but we bring the kingdom culture into play in our lives and into our community. And that's where we're heading, what we want to discuss. And so what do we mean by culture? Culture. Well, the dictionary tells us that culture is the ideas, the customs and the social behaviours of a particular people. Or another definition says this, uh, it's the outlook, the attitudes, the values, the morals, the goals and the customs shared by a society. In other words, it's the way we do life. It's the way of life of people. And um, around the world, of course, we have different cultures, different cultural groups in different countries and it's fantastic when you travel to experience different cultures. In fact, you don't even have to travel because Australia is blessed to have so many different cultures here and even in our own church. We love to see people who have come from different countries or their background from different places and we have different clothes or food or ways of doing things and we interact and we love that and appreciate that. So that's the good side of cultures around the world but Collectively, there are some things about the culture of all the people in the world, the worldly culture, we would say, that isn't great, that is actually anti-God, that doesn't share the same values of God's kingdom and his culture. There's ways of thinking and acting and living that we can all follow and fall into that are actually contrary to the ways and the will of God. And that's why the Bible says in, Hebrew, in, sorry, in Romans 12 too, you may know this scripture, Paul's writing and he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you do that, he says, then you'll be able to discern what the will of God is, what is good and perfect and acceptable. So don't be conformed into the ways of this world. I love how the message version puts it. Listen to this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Wow. Listen to that again. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. So there's a real warning there for those who want to live a, a real full-on, purposeful, God-glorifying Christian life to not fit in with the culture of the world so much that our, our light is diminished, our, our sword is, is dulled, our, our lifestyle is, is in no different to people around us. And so what do we do? We realise, oh, okay, worldly culture, kingdom culture, we shouldn't be 
adapting all the ways of the world. We shouldn't be absorbing all the values. We shouldn't just sort of fit in so much. Well, we've found 100 acres up in the Wadigan Mountains. We're going to sell our houses. We're all going to move up there. We're going to bunker down. We're going to turn our backs on the world and we're going to build a commune. And we're going to get a little cultish with our doctrine. We're all going to go weird. And then we're, no joking. But that's, oh, it was sounding good for a while, was it? Yeah, no, 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 no. Hopefully that was sounding bad and scary. But that's sadly what some people have done. They've just wanted to turn their backs. But we, the answer is not to retreat from this world, to stay away from people, to be afraid of the influences of the surrounding culture. Let's see what Jesus wants us to do, amen? He revealed to us his will in a prayer that he prayed not long before he went back to heaven. And you read this in John 17. And he's praying for his disciples, his immediate disciples, but also for us. And he prayed this, Father, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. So be prepared for that. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. But look at his prayer. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So again, our calling as disciples of Jesus is, is to be like Jesus rather than to be like the world, because he says you, you're different. You, the world's going to hate you. You're not... And, the, and you can read plenty of other passages in the New Testament. Talk about... Okay, we good? So, um, so Jesus is saying there, okay, there's a difference between your ways and the ways of the world, right? We get that. But notice what he says in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So the answer there is not that we withdraw or are removed from the world. In fact, if you read on the very next verse, verse 18, that records that same prayer, Jesus prayed this, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, or I am sending them into the world. And so that's why you hear Christians say, well, we're not in the world, but we are, sorry, we, we, we are in the world, but not of the world. Because Jesus is sending us into the world, not to be influenced, not to become part of the world, not to have the worldly culture and the values that are anti-God to influence us, but that we would influence it and people around us. So we are to be the influencers and we are not to be separated from the world. And that's, again, some imbalance that has occurred over the years in churches. Sometimes people have engaged with the world and they've watered down their truth. Like I mentioned the word repent, you know, and the, oh, well, we've got to, you know, be sensitive and all that. And the church is throwing away godly values and, and truth according to Scripture in an effort to just sort of fit in and not offend. But other extremes have been just as bad where people have got on their holiness high horse and have disconnected from the world because they are just judgmental and self-righteous about the truth that they've found and the patterns of worship behaviour that they've found, even to the point of other new uh, ways of worship or styles of ministry have come through that are just as godly, but just because it's different, they reject them. And so we, we, we want to be careful. We don't get religious in our ways, but we also don't want to be watering down the truth. Yeah? And so we are engaging with the world 
and Jesus is sending us into the world and, and we have a message. It's a life-changing message. We are all missionaries in a sense. You don't have to you know, get on a plane and go to another foreign country to, to be a missionary. We are ambassadors from him with the message. And what is that message? It's the good news, the gospel. And of course, that means that because of Jesus dying on the cross, we can be forgiven, we can be set free from sin, we can be saved and set on a path to heaven. Praise the Lord. But that's not the whole message because Jesus brought, as I said, a message into this world about the kingdom of God. And he wants us to bring that same message so that we don't just take the good news for ourselves, but that we actually bring that good news and bring the culture of that good news and that kingdom and bring it as an influence into the ways of the world around us and into people's lives. And so we want to help people come out of this kingdom of darkness, the Bible calls it, into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's Son. And so in doing so, people can help, can, can discover a new way of life, a new culture, a new way of doing things. And that's what we call kingdom culture. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is unpack some of the differences, some of the distinctives of God's kingdom and how they differ between the ways of God and the ways of the world. And, um, and the first big obvious one I want to touch on this morning is the issue of love. God's kingdom is built on love, as you may know. Excuse me for a second. Thank you. So I want you to turn, if you are looking at a Bible, uh, to 1 John chapter 4. And... Um, you know, the guy that wrote this was the guy that hung around Jesus very closely. And he had a, a radical change in his life because of the love of God. He was actually a bit of a wild guy when he was younger. Uh, and he ended up becoming the apostle known as, you know, the apostle of love. John had this wonderful, sweet understanding uh, of God's love. And, uh, and it changed, changed his life as it, as it does. Um, and read this passage with me from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Wow. And a few sentences later, I think it's about verse 19, it says, we love because God first loved us. So this is touching on the power of God's love. And love, you know, God's kingdom is, is founded on and, and infused with his love. And I mean, in the world, we, we get some love, some understanding of love, and God's love is meted out in different ways and different experiences. But through Jesus, we, we get, and the message of the New Testament, we get a very clear picture, picture 
and model an image and pattern to follow of, of God's love. Because, of course, Jesus showed us how extravagant, unconditional love really is by dying on the cross. And uh, he also modeled it through his lifestyle. And he also taught about it um, and taught us to love everyone. You know, so when he says love, it's so easy to love the, the lovable. Yeah? Uh, and Jesus taught on that. He said, you, you know, I want you to pray for people who even hate you, people who seem to be like your enemies. I want you to bless them. I want you to love them. He says, anybody can love the people that love you. I love this little cartoon I came across where Jesus is teaching. Let's have a look at this about um, loving everybody. I don't know if you can read uh, up in the top left. There's Jesus. Be kind to everyone. And then someone says, wait, even Gary? Someone goes, yeah, Gary's the worst. And Jesus says, look, we've been through this. Yes, be kind to Gary as well. And there's Gary. Ah, suck it, losers. And Jesus says, not now, Gary. (laughs) So now apologies if your name is Gary. (laughs) Any Gary's here. I mean, there weren't many Gary's in Jesus' time. Um, But there are some around today. But so hopefully, apologies to Gary. But if you know, change the name, but let's face it, there, we all have Gary's in our life. <laughs> and so Gary's just not that easy to love kind of guy. And when he's told, yeah, everyone's going to love me, he's like, <laughs> anyway, I just found that funny. And he, I just love the fact it catches Jesus. He was 100% man. I mean, he was still perfect, but, you know, he just still had feelings. And he's like, Gary, just not the time. It's like, you're so inappropriate. No wonder people don't like you, Gary. I mean, I love you and I make the disciples love you and oh but really anyway so maybe you've got some yeah, maybe there's a Gary in your life um but that's uh anyway back to the bible uh because we are called to love everyone and this is the kingdom of God this is the culture of the kingdom of God that is different to the culture of the world because in the world and in our hearts and natural base selves that is a kind of a disconnect that's or, or at least that shows how things really are. That even Gary, it's like, surely, Lord, not. Uh, you know, we, it's so, we, we just want to get uh, a little, con- we, we want to put a, a boundary around our love. We, we're happy to put conditions on our love. But God's love is, of course, unconditional. And, and, uh, and so, you know, we have distorted ways or not fully understood, limited measured ways of of love like the whole concept of romantic love falling in love people get excited they call it love maybe it's just an infatuation or maybe it's just that you found someone who for a time it seems makes you happy and it's like oh well this is true love well maybe it's not maybe that person is really just being selfish and they're just expecting and finding someone who can actually affirm their position make them feel good about themselves then they call that love. And then when that person maybe isn't doing everything perfectly for them, they say, oh, we've fallen out of love. I don't love them anymore. It's like, well, maybe that wasn't real love because real love is a lot more selfless <laughs> than that and a lot more sacrificial and then thinks of the other person. You know, even parenting. Most parents will understand. I saw a, um, uh, a television program that showed a woman growing up. She was 13 when her mother disappeared. And the people told her she ran away. 
And she always thought that was confusing. And then she said, when I became a mother, I knew that my mother had not run away. She had had a baby. And so she got the cold case. It was one of those detective kind of shows. And they end up finding out who murdered the mother. But it took this woman till she was an adult and had a child. And she went, I knew as soon as I had a baby, as a mother, I knew my mother would never have run away. I knew something happened, foul play had occurred. And they end up tracking down the murderer. And so parents love their children. But even in our expression of love, outside God's influence, it can be far from perfect. For example, some parents, they love their kids. They would say they love their kids. But maybe they're just imposing expectations and pressure on their kids to perform a certain way so then the parents feel good about themselves. You know, what if the kid wants to do that other kind of career that you think isn't sort of one of the ones you really hope that they would follow? And so, you know, there's some real fractured ways of love. So what does it look like? What, is real, what does God's kingdom culture of love look like in our day-to-day life? Well, of course, at its core, it means that we're walking with Jesus, that we're listening to Jesus. We're in relationship with him. We have the whisper of the Holy Spirit teaching and speaking to us and leading us and growing in us and developing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we're, we're, we're in relationship with him so much that he's in us and we're in him. So we are filled with the love of Jesus. So that's the, I guess, the core theology of it. But in practice, when it plays out, it's going to look different to the way we would naturally react and behave in our base normal selves. So, for example, it might mean that when someone cuts in front of you on the freeway, you don't flare up and wind up, but you just let it go because you just sense and stop elbowing your partner. I can see people elbowing. Of course, I'm not preaching to myself here. Um, just talk, I'm just thinking of other people who might be, you know, sometimes a little you know, much too, too much in a hurry, you know. It might mean that um, when a Christian brother or sister offends you, notice I said when, not if, it's only a matter of time, um, you know, and it, it, they'll, they'll let you down and they'll upset you in some way, but, but it means that you're going to lean into God and you're going to find forgiveness and grace, and you're going to maintain that relationship rather than being offended, walking away, cutting them off. It'll mean that when you hear about a neighbour who's in need of help or you find someone in some state of distress, that you sacrifice your time. Your schedule may go right out the door, but you follow the call of God's love, and in doing so, you find it's more blessed to give than to receive, and you actually feel a wonderful benefit for yourself out of it, but you're showing love in a practical way. It might mean that when your spouse or someone close to you in your family focuses on something you've done wrong, brings criticism and correction to you, rather than defending yourself, it's just so easy, and turning on them, maybe you are able to just stop, settle, listen, and see what you can learn from their input. Their criticism might actually be constructive. It means that when it has this at work, 
the culture is fighting and angry and there's people having a go at people and when someone comes in to have a go at you, instead of getting down in the, the mud and having it out and fighting back and joining in with that culture and arguing like everyone else, maybe you shift that prevailing culture by acting very graciously, by just keeping calm and communicating smoothly and sweetly and, and, and maybe bringing conflict resolution into the play and making it possible. And so there's a lot of little ways in our life that the kingdom culture of love will come in. And then, of course, if something majorly, terribly, tragically can happen or has or might happen in someone's life, it can mean that rather than it being so devastating that their whole life purpose is derailed, of course, it could be majorly upsetting, but the culture of God's kingdom can help them stay on track with their purpose. It can help them, not just that, it can help them get off a way that they were heading that was so far from the best. Some people are caught up in trains of thought or hurts in their heart and they're leading a life of anger or bitterness or, or resentment or, 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 or lust for worldly things or they're just off track and and God's kingdom culture and it's particularly in this area with love uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll come to a close but I'll just tell you one story um, that exemplifies this kind of a major deal and the power of God's love and how things can get set straight maybe you remember the Toronto blessing you've been around for a while it was in the mid-90s, there was this amazing outpouring of God's love, God's presence, and the Holy Spirit moved in a powerful way. In fact, all over the world, there were thousands of, thousands of churches and many, many believers all over the world were touched through a, 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 quite a phenomenon over a few years. And a lot of it centered from or came from this church in Toronto in Canada. It's very unassuming pastor and his wife, John and Carol Arnott, just loving the Lord in a vineyard church. And then the Holy Spirit came, visited them in a powerful way. And they started having revival meetings and people started coming from other places and feeling refreshed and touched. And people who had been disconnected from God, who maybe were pastors or serving in the ministry and felt dry and run down and worn out, were coming from all over the world and being totally blessed and, and being overwhelmed with joy. There was crazy laughter going on. There were meetings where people couldn't even stand up to preach. They'd just all fall rolling around. And, uh, and it was an amazing time. And uh, I was on my way home in 1995 from a missions trip to Russia and I was able to go to Toronto because it, the ticket could easily get diverted that way. So I went to these meetings. And by that time, there were thousands of people. This normal little church of a couple of hundred people had grown to have meetings uh, in this warehouse that they had to rent. And every single night for several years, they had these revival meetings. And they had thousands of people from all over the world coming on any given night. And it wasn't really, it's hard to explain. They didn't have like an amazing preacher. John Arnott was not this gifted orator. They didn't have incredible music. And remember, they had, I remember just um, a bunch of hippie kind of 
guitar dudes all trying to get in the same key and think, yeah, all right, let's go, let's sing that one. Yeah, okay. And the overhead projections and people were writing the words. What's the words for that? And it was sloppy in, in many ways. And I remember thinking, aha, I, we're going for excellence because we'd only started this church a year or two earlier. But I remember thinking at the core value of our church, we want excellence, but that doesn't mean professionalism. We don't have to have perfection to have the presence of God. I want our guitarists and our musos to play in tune, sure. But, but we don't have to have a slick production to have church, you know. I remember thinking, man, this is, this is incredible. This is, how is God using this, you know, because I'd been in a church that is pretty focused on, you know, having stuff pretty snappy. And that's cool. I want a nice, clean environment and, you know, we want things to be nice for people and all that. But I've been to plenty of places where you sense the presence of God and, there's a whole lot of stuff that could be better. <laughs> but it doesn't matter if you've got the presence of God and you've got people who are hungry for him. And that's what this place was full of. So it was hilarious because the preaching was all like, yeah, someone's having a go and, and they just sing a few songs. But it was all about experiencing the presence of God and there were lives being changed. And so the story, that's all to say this. There was a woman that got up one night and they invited testimonies of people, you know, what was happening in their life. And she had been brought up Jewish. She was a Messianic Jew, someone who'd come to believe in Jesus, but had been brought up in Jewish family. And she shared the, the tragedy and the trauma that she had experienced in her family. I think her parents had might have been through the Holocaust. And she was brought up with this pain uh, for their people, but also in their immediate family. And the the bitterness that she shared, she said, not just towards the Nazi regime, but for anyone who is German. She had carried this as a, a stain and a, a weight and a burden and a heaviness, and, and she shared about this. And then she explained that for the first time in her life, through being in these meetings with God moving, she was completely free. The love of God had just set her free from all this bitterness. She said, I feel incredible forgiveness and I, I just I repent from my bitterness and, I, and God has set me free, something I could not do myself. And people were all very moved and all that. And then this guy walked forward. Oh, and I've never, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this in church. It's very hard to explain the power sometimes that you experience in some encounters. This guy walked forward and he said, well, hello. And he came up on stage, I'm German. And not just I'm German, but his family had a history of being involved on the other side. Now, I don't think he was, you know, due to get put in prison as a war criminal, but I think he had some relatives. I can't remember the details, but it was definitely in his family lineage because we're talking a generation or two after World War II, but still close to home. And he said his family had been involved in, you know, some of the atrocities and he begged forgiveness from this woman. And... Um, Oh, man, it was just, uh, it was wild. And, and she just cried out, I forgive you. And they hugged on stage. And as I said, I, I don't know if I've ever shared it because it, in the telling of it, it might not, it, it just probably doesn't carry the sense of what I felt and what many others experienced at that moment. It was, it was obviously the power of God's love. It was nothing else. It was the... It was the culture of God's kingdom and it was his love that could make this possible and nothing else. And everyone was very, not just moved emotionally, you know what I'm saying? It was a little more than just, oh, that's sweet. 
you could sense the presence of God and um, you, could, you could tell, as I said, this was the culture of his kingdom. There were waves of his love just washing over that meeting for some time afterwards. There was, and you know, the funny side for me is that I'd flown from Russia to London overnight. To, to, so I had jet lag and I'm hopeless without sleep. So for the first night or two, I, I think I was there for like three nights. First night or two, I was sort of in a state of delirium and, uh, and headaches, and I'm sort of trying to, you know, focus physically. Anyway, it was a bit weird. Um, so maybe this is all a dream. No, 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 I'm joking. No, uh, no, no, it was, uh, it was just stirring. There was no room for hate, for prejudice, for bitterness, for anger, for unforgiveness, for any hurt. It was all washed away by the love of Jesus. And, uh, and I, I remember thinking, this is a glimpse of heaven. This is one of those moments, and maybe you've had times like that, where you realise there's heaven and we can bring that. We can experience that to some degree, just as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, you don't have to go to a church meeting on the other side of the world to experience that and to live that and to bring that. Because we can just press into his love and his presence at any time. And then we can come out of his presence and we can carry his presence. Yeah? And how essential it is in this hour to bring his love with all the most recent, not just the coronavirus, but the the racial tensions and the protests. You know, the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek in the kingdom of God. We We are one. And in this church, we love diversity. All colours, creeds, nations, kinds. You're, we, you know, it's all welcome in the kingdom of God and in our church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.